Listener Production. Of all the things that make us who we are, surely the family we're born into and our relationship with our family has the greatest impact. When we feel safe, loved, given permission to be who we are without judgment, wow, families are very special. An accepting, supportive family is the base from which you build yourself and your life. But when there's tension or conflict, when we feel like we don't fit or we're not accepted, it's very painful. That disconnect can harm so many parts of our lives. So how do we thrive even despite a difficult family? This episode is about understanding family wounds and finding healing. My co-host is Dr. Jamie Lee. Hi there, Jamie. Hi, Joe. It does seem obvious to say all we need is loving families and we all need that. But from a scientific or biological point of view, how important is a good relationship with our families? Like what do we know happens when that safe haven isn't there? Having a healthy family and home environment as a child is absolutely critical to a child's growth and development. As humans, we are blessed with a highly evolved brain that has 86 billion neurons, and each of these have 10,000 connections. I mean, that's hundreds of trillions of connections in the brain, and it's always changing. Now, Whilst this level of complexity is a blessing because it can do very complex tasks and as humans, we've, we've evolved to pretty much take over the planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also a curse. You know, it's also a curse because we are born to be quite fragile. We are fragile creatures and we need our parents and our carers to protect us for quite a long time. If we think about a horse being born, they're up and walking within an hour. They wobble on their new little legs, but not long after that, they're able to run about. A human baby just takes so much longer to walk, let alone protect itself. We're talking about years of nurturing and and fostering that environment. As children, we are so sensitive and reactive to their parents and caretakers. The response of caretakers, as well as the sensory stimuli of the environment, can really affect children. As such, parents' emotions, the feelings, the vibe in the room can really influence how a child reacts, how a child grows, and how they develop. And for a child to develop properly, it needs to be a very safe, nurturing environment where they receive all the appropriate stimuli to grow, such Mm -hmm. as love, touch, and language. Mm -hmm. When the safe haven isn't there, When a child is neglected or abused or their needs are not met and they don't receive the right type of external stimuli to develop the brain, there will be also physical changes in the body as well. In the child's body? Yeah, in the child's body. Right. When we, we, we can pull away, like the child can pull away with their bodies and their minds from whatever is painful or overwhelming. So it could be a noise that's a bit too loud. It could be they're feeling hungry and they're not being fed right at that moment. You know, it's not major things necessarily. Mm. It can also be the little things. And when we pull away, we constrict those parts of ourselves from experiencing the pain. And it's not just a mental process, but these these elements, these processes, these constrictions that we do, it's constricting against the sensation of pain and it's for protection. And they can help us 
also maintain love and approval of our parents. We do and we shape what we can in order to achieve love from our parents. So we're shifting our behaviours to try and get the sort of love that we need from our parents, right? Mm. But if we're not getting that reflected back to us, we can feel confused, we can be hypervigilant, we can be people pleasers, we can be... Uh, scared, we can be lacking in self-esteem. There are so many things that come from feeling like you don't have a connection with your parents. Yeah. Evolutionary, we are wired to seek approval and seek protection from our carers. That's how we're wired. So we'll do whatever we need to do, whether it be shrinking ourselves to be smaller or whether it be mimicking what our parents are doing so that we can actually fit in with the family. Mm. And if we feel like we don't fit in with the family, I imagine that has long lasting effects on us as we grow, as we become adults, and then as we form relationships in in our adult life. Right. So while we're lucky to have a guest with us today who is generous enough to share the story of her relationship with her family, Raven, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Raven, you're 61. And you've raised your own family now. So some people might assume by that stage of our life, we'd be free of whatever impact our parents have had on us. But is that true? Is it possible to ever be free of the wounds that come from a difficult relationship with our parents? That's an interesting question because as I was preparing for this, I thought I'm fully, fully recovered, fully healed, fully... um, But I think it's an ongoing journey and it definitely will be till my last breath. I, trying to make sense of my childhood was very, very hard. And Jamie, you, 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 you've been spot on. You more or less have articulated everything that I have felt um, growing up. In, mm. in my dysfunctional family, mm. yes. Mm. Wow, I can hear how painful it still is for you, Raven. And firstly, I need to check in, are you okay to continue telling us your story? Because I feel a deep responsibility in knowing that you are. I feel like this is part of the healing for me, is that I have spent a lot of time sharing my story and sharing it on in um, in safe places. So that's the only question that I would have is that, um, is this a safe place for me to share? Because I feel it is a crucial uh, sharing. And if anyone can resonate, then um, I feel it's been worthwhile. And so, yes, I uh, I do want to continue if that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the question, I guess, but also for, to reassure you that it is as safe a space as we can offer you. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, I don't know what you would add to that. Um, yeah, we, you know, Raven, you're held and heard here and you are safe. And that's why I, I showed up and said yes, because I do know, yes. I do know you, Jamie, and I know that's, um, that's what I'm feeling safe. Okay. In your and you're so brave for, for being here. Mm. Thank you. Can you describe your family growing up? I've written some some things down so I don't go off track, but okay. obviously, obviously my name is Raven, yes. <laughs> Raven, and that's not um, the name that my family gave to me, so I've changed my name. Um, I was born Adrian de Cruz um, in India, South India, and I'm one of eight 
um, children. I come from a very big family. My mum my is one of 11. My dad is one of five. And it was a strict Catholic family. And um, I'm of mixed origin, so I have European um, yeah, settlers that went to India in me as well, including French, Dutch, Irish, Portuguese, Indian. Yeah. Um, I left home as soon as I could and got married. <laughs> I married uh, a Muslim Palestinian called Musa and we have raised four uh, daughters who are adults and married and have children of their own. I live in uh, the northwest of Sydney and um, when I was two years old, my family moved from India to England. So I was essentially raised in England. Yeah. And you had a, when you described it to me, mm-hmm. a very traumatic relationship with your dad, particularly, but yes. in the house, yes. it seemed not to be a safe place for you. Definitely not. He was, um, I mean, now we call it domestic violence in the time that I grew up. Um, I don't believe it had a name. I, I think it was just accepted, you know, Um but he was violent, and um, as a child, I witnessed things that I don't think any any child should have to, to witness. And it was really hard, and it changed who I feel I was. I think it just wrote on the slate of who I was as as a human being. He was. Um, very stubborn and proud and, yeah, aggressive. Um, he was angry. He was, he was, uh, my journey wasn't, it didn't feel safe. And um, I felt actually very alone, um, even though I had five brothers and two sisters. If you talk to my siblings, you may get a completely different story and it, really depends on, as far as I'm concerned, how sensitive you are as a child. I was very sensitive and I picked up so much pain, as you can hear, with having a parent that was controlling. I, well, I'm struggling with my voice because... Um, I essentially didn't have a voice and and decided, yes, in being the people police and that I couldn't do anything right, I was always wrong, that I would just be mute. And uh, I, I can obviously speak, but um, uh, I struggle at times finding um, the words to be able to explain. This is just the worst thing that I've had ups and downs in my life and, you know, roller coasters. But this was just the worst, uh, having my childhood taken away from me, essentially. Mm. Um, my mother, on the other hand, was very um, submissive and self-sacrificing and disconnected and lacked, uh, lacked confidence. And she was depressed pretty much um, a lot of her life too. So um, that's, yeah, it's no way... It's no way to be raised. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not. And and Raven, you know, I commend your bravery for sharing this story with us. And I can see it, you know, the the pain it brings up and the hurt. 
and letting you know that you're here now. You're here now as a powerful woman who's done so much work over the last, how many years? How many years has it been? Oh, since I left home. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially, you know, doing self-developmental courses and meditation courses and relaxation Mm. courses and dealing with my my anxiety and depression and the things that I, um, yeah, was passed on to me really essentially by my mother, but also by my father, just not having the the tools to equip me to, to deal with what I perceived as quite a harsh world. I think, you know, when, uh, when your childhood is, is, is laced with so much pain and trauma, it sets you up, not positively, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't gear you up to be able to deal with the world. And I, 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 I didn't find myself functioning as a teenager very well. I, I, took to drinking, which is what my dad, you know, I, I kind of felt like I took the worst of both traits of my parents mm-hmm. with me mm-hmm. to, to heal. And um, yeah, I mean, I am, I am strong now and I actually am quite surprised that I'm emotional, although I never know, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, it's like, it's like an onion, you know, it's just peeling off the layers and I, and I feel sometimes I can really be quite, detached and uh, talk about my life in a very controlled fashion. And it was just hearing you, Jamie, hearing you talk. It was as if you were reading my story and that just brought it all back up again. (laughs) But also, uh, and I want to reiterate what you said, Raven, it is no way for a child to be raised and you were worthy of so much more. Um. Every child is worthy of so much more. But yeah. Um, yeah. you're emotional and I'm emotional now because um, it's still in you. Like yes. that, you carry that with you, as you said, and so it will emerge sometimes, surprisingly, yeah. out of nowhere. It will do that, won't it? It's like grief, you know, when something dies and essentially I feel a part of me was had died, you know, mm. I was soul destroyed. So a part of me did die. So I had, uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've given birth to a daughter that died. I will never forget that. And I can cope with that somehow more than I can cope with the death of my own soul, which strangely, because um, I accept death, but I don't accept the constant um, brutalizing or damaging of, of, for years. I mean, it was 16 years till Mm. I left home and to not have any, literally no control over any say of how my life would go. Mm. Mm. So this conversation is about understanding the wounding that might come from a difficult family, Mm -hmm. Um, but also it is about finding ways to heal. Yeah. So what was your response as a young person and how did you rebuild yourself? Um, I think, honestly, it was my children that built me. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt that, um, and still do, that the most important work in the world is raising the next generation of human beings. (laughs) I love them, Mm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And because they're unconditionally loving, they really are, 
I felt a lot of love from them and my husband. I was very, very fortunate. (laughs) I always swore I would never, ever marry a man like my father. And I kept that promise to myself. And uh, Musa is um, the most gentle, caring, unconditionally loving person that I know. So I've been very, very blessed. Mm. And that was my... That was my healing, my saving, if you, if you like. Mm. And Raven, it's also uh, to acknowledge you and your strength, right? So when it comes to generations of trauma, I, I refer to this as the dance of the generation. Yes. Right, and how trauma and pain can be passed down from generation to generation. Absolutely. How you were raised as a, a child yeah. may actually be very reflective of how your parents themselves were raised oh, yes. as children. And oh, the yes. chances are that if you had experienced abuse as a child, your father and your mother and so forth and their grandparents and so forth also experienced neglect and abuse. That was the biggest healing for me, that mm. understanding right there, Jamie, is that we're all victims of our circumstances, if you like. Mm-hmm. And definitely from what I know, this is, my trauma is not even of this lifetime. I feel like I'm carrying shame and trauma from many, many lifetimes. When I look at my mother's mother and my mother's father, and it, it is just unbelievable. You know, the mental illness, the depression. I have on both sides, um, yeah, recognize that actually people do the best that they know how. And mm. that's what I believe of my parents, that they did the best that they knew how, given what they their experiences were. And yes. that when you know better, you do better. Yes. Um, yes. And that's, and that's it, right? Like, recognizing perhaps they were doing the best that they can. And this is not an excuse as to how one was treated, but it no. can open up some of that space for healing, for acceptance and and for compassion. And what, what you've done is brought awareness to the situation, brought awareness that the pain that you're feeling and the abuse that you received was not yours, <laughs> right? And And that pain that you felt was not yours it's just been passed down and you've you've said no i'm not yeah. passing this to my children and that is what will stop that trauma going forward down the generations of your children and and their children absolutely i feel i'm a, a definitely a chain breaker mm. um i i feel like there is no point in pointing the finger backwards because then my parents will just point it to their parents and, mm. you know, it'll, it'll just carry on going. And, you know, I, I saw, I saw, well, I, I like quotes and it was pain travels through family until somebody stops and feels it. And mm-hmm. I think I'm the one that um, felt a lot. It is extraordinary to me, though, that you've been able to distance yourself from the pain enough to recognise the circumstances that your parents may have come from. Because that that requires a, a lot of, is it forgiveness? Oh, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know if it's 
mine to forgive. I just, if, if I believe that they did the best, then what do I have to forgive mm. in a way? I would love to have had a conversation with them about it. And this is the hardest part I feel in in uh, putting an end to this ancestral trauma or wounding or scarring or whatever, is that there's so much shame attached that mm-hmm. it actually all gets very silenced. And um, mm-hmm. your mom, my mum is very much, I would just like to have a better understanding because that's the way I found with my children is that if they have, I gave them a voice, so they certainly used it against me. And mm-hmm. they would say, what the hell were you thinking when you did, you know? And I would go, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, you didn't deserve for me to treat you that way or whatever. Um, I wasn't conscious enough. I was still in my trauma and quite angry or whatever it was. I can remember things that I did that I regret and I know I changed them in that instance. But keeping the doorways of communication open really helps the healing and that's something that I haven't been able to have with my parents. So Raven, are you still in touch with your father? Do you have a relationship with him? Through my mother, I do. Yeah, my mother calls me when she's allowed to. My dad really still rules the roost. He's 91 and, you know, it's uh, his house, his castle. He's the king and he gets to dictate. On the occasion, the last occasion that you Mm. spoke with him, what was that Mm. like? Oh, my goodness, that was so traumatic. I am in Australia and they live in England And actually, it was the impulse of my youngest daughter, who's now 28 and just got married. She, she, when she was a teenager, she was pretty feisty, probably how I was. And I would never have dared to speak back to my parents. But she, she spoke back to me and I, I was shocked. And I said, I would never, ever have spoken to my parents like that. How dare you? And I go, (laughs) you know, up on my high horse. And she said, well, if they were treating you the way you're treating me, then you should have. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this is my <laughs> opportunity. I'm getting, no, I didn't, you know, go back to do this, but I, I went back to um, to open the doorways of communication, really. Um, and I remember saying to my mum, before I go back to Australia, I, I want to just speak to dad about, you know, my childhood and it was it was painful and, and she said, no, 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 don't do that. You'll make my life hell. He'll just make my life hell. And I said, mom, you know, how he treats you, that's what you've you've put up with and, you know, that's between you and him. This is just me wanting to speak and she wanted me not to say anything. I literally got as far as saying, dad, when I was young, I was so unhappy and he was ready to lash out. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew that, you know, I was an adult and I... I, you know, I really feel like my children are not my property and, and and we have got a relationship soul to soul. But with my parents, that's never, I don't know, well, I should never say never, but I cannot see that happening. I will always be their child mm. and therefore they always command mm. of me to be a certain way. Mm. And so, yeah, it, yeah, essentially he threw me out the house. He was in his ni- 80s mm. and I was in my 50s and that was, and I said, you know, it's your loss. You're never going to see me again. <laughs> and how often are we, uh, if not estranged, but at least have difficult relationships with our parents and our families because they insist we play a role that we don't think is ours anymore. They mm. insist that we are mm. that person who we were maybe as an eight-year-old mm-hmm. or the person that they wanted us to be that we never, ever actually fit. Mm. They insist on that and then there's always this disconnect and this disjointedness and this tension there. 
and you don't feel seen yeah. by no. your parents. No, because right? no. they're seeing the eight-year-old you. They're seeing the projection of what they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. They're seeing something completely different, not just being present yeah. and seeing you. Yep, all that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it made me a better parent because I, I, I've definitely yeah, like I say, I've definitely broken that chain and. I definitely do not interfere at all with my children's life in the sense that I uh, tell them, you know, what jobs they should do, how they should have their hair or their clothes or whatever. But with my mother, I feel she's not able to actually talk about the past without it being too traumatic for her, actually. Mm. So I spare her that. I don't feel I need to forgive them when I know that they did the best. I actually have to forgive myself because I left home when I was 16 and I perpetuated the same persecution to myself Mm -hmm. that was done to me. And that was the hardest part. It's like now I'm an adult and I can leave home, but it never left me because I never allowed it. All the things that were said to me, I actually said to myself louder that I'm not good enough, that I'm not pretty enough, that I'm not enough. And it was me that kept on doing that, nobody else. So that was something I had to be courageous enough to take a deep look at myself and know myself. How did you stop that language? How were you able to set the boundaries? How were you able to kind of start being kinder to yourself? It was actually by sharing my story, which is why I feel it's so important that I do this right now. Being in a safe place where you can be heard and held, as Jamie has said, and feel safe, it gives you the confidence of knowing that you're actually not alone. This Mm -hmm. is going on to different degrees, um, scarring and wounding. And I do wonder what would the world look like if we had just one generation of healed people that didn't have to work so hard Mm. to just, just make it to normal then we can be, which is where I feel I am now, where I feel I can now put that, put that aside. I've made peace with myself and I can then be of service. And that's where I am with it now. I, I've had to develop really clear boundaries and not allow anybody to be in my life that would put me down. Mm-hmm. So that's um, just choosing, choosing better company really Mm -hmm. and I have beautiful friends and family that I can talk to um, and share yeah share my story. Mm. I think you're right that the sharing is critical so that people know they're not alone and that what happened to them is not unusual you're not living a life that no one else has lived. It's specific to you and it's individual and it's very, very personal for you. But many people experience trauma. But Jamie, when we've talked about trauma, uh, it can come in many different ways and it can be way more subtle, Mm. can't it, within a family and for children. Mm. Yes. Trauma is an event that is too intense, too painful emotionally or physically or too confusing to be received. There's two types of trauma, extreme events such as severe injury or abuse or war that impact us with great force. And the second one is relational or developmental trauma that everyone faces, even in the smallest ordinary events. And this occurs especially during childhood. 
So, for example, being told to be quiet or, mm. you know, to don't cry, just man up mm. or the loss of a pet can be too much for a young child to actually understand and digest. And in response, the body and their consciousness, their mind, they actually constrict away from that pain when they don't have that freedom to to express what they're feeling either. But I think too, in in that, and it's a very, that is a very familiar sounding exchange between parent and child, mm-hmm. don't cry, man up, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be that is the signal to the child that their needs aren't valid. Yes. That they need to silence who they are. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that happens in every family. Yes. Sometimes by accident. Parents don't mean that. No. It can no, happen just by accident. And and, um, and it's so easy to say, right? Mm. Like they're used to saying it. That that's what they heard when they were children. Mm. So they just repeat the same thing. Right. Mm. So, but that can compound, right? In yes. a family. Yes. And then suddenly you feel like you maybe don't fit in your family or mm. maybe your parents don't understand you or they don't see you or maybe there's a, mm-hmm. a sibling issue. Mm-hmm. Um. And then we've got a decision to make, I guess. Do we want to try and continue having a relationship with our family? If so, how? How do we Mm. heal? How do we kind of bridge the gap? Yeah, I'm hearing you. um, You know, this keeping the peace was very strong in me, being a people pleaser and trying to mould myself to fit in was was just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I was an outrageous child, but it just seemed very stifling. Honestly, I think that if you don't do the work that you need to do, then the work does you. It forces you. I mean, I couldn't survive if I did not um, learn how to deal with the trauma that I have. It was just too much for me, to be honest. And this can also spill out beyond just the relationship with you and your family. Of course. Right. Mm. So, you know, imagine when you're a child, you if you've had a domineering parent and you might pull your head in slightly every time, um, you know, your father yelled at you. And that's a protective stance, right? Like a turtle Mm. pulls its head in. Mm. Now take it outside of the family. And when you're an adult, that pattern of behavior is ingrained in your body. And so whenever you meet someone with authority, you can react to them as if they were a dominating parent. And that habit echoes from our childhood into the present. And it can even affect our ability to perceive that person clearly without Mm. feeling intimidated or feeling threatened. Oh, absolutely. I feel like so many of us are triggered unknowingly Mm. by circumstances that are reflective of our childhood that most of the time we've forgotten what happened. We don't even remember the thing that we're holding in us. And yet this, you know, at work or whatever in our relationships as adults, you go, oh, you know, you've kind of reacted in a way that is a real mystery to you and it could be because of a way that you were raised or something that you were really, you know, subjected to as a kid. Mm. You're so spot on, <laughs> so spot on, yeah. And what it's triggering there is is that reptilian primitive part of your brain, your amygdala, right? So that part of your brain is always scanning your environment to make sure that you're safe. It's mm. always scanning. And the thing is, it is matching up what you're experiencing now in the present with any potential dangers in the past. And we've spoken about the amygdala before. And when you see a a person who is, say, authoritarian, your amygdala will immediately match that same person, that energy to an event where 
It's as if you were back in the past in mm. your childhood with your parent <laughs> and it will send you to that same state of mind, right? As mm. if you're a child, again, rather than being an adult now with a completely different person in a completely different situation. So is it important to unlock what we don't remember about our childhood if it's, if it's coming up for you? Is that something that you have done Raven? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I mean about if you don't do the work, the work works you. Mm. And um, I have felt very triggered by people in authority, mainly men, I have to say, um, but women too who behave, behave in a patriarchal way, I guess, you know, in that a domineering fashion, which I, I trained as a nurse and a midwife and I find that there are many places, institutions where there is that hierarchy and I have on many occasions returned to being six years old and being a mess mm. in front of somebody who was another adult human being but wasn't able to speak up for myself. I would just reduce myself to mm. a puddle on the floor. So I totally relate to that. And yeah, I can't I can't move forward. It's it's actually very stagnating. I I left both nursing and midwifery and um, just about anything where I, I'm triggered by bullying in any way, shape or form. I can't, uh, I can't be in a place where I'm not 100% respected mm. and honoured. So, Raven, if someone was listening now knowing that either they have a very difficult relationship with someone in their family and they do want to heal that relationship, they do want to continue connected to them somehow, Mm-hmm. or perhaps they're further down the path where you are, which is actually I need to protect myself and somehow rebuild myself. What advice could you give? I'd say recognise and acknowledge where you're at, honestly, with the relationship that you have, whether you there's room for improvement and room for working and there's there's a conversation happening and there's some dialogue happening um, I think you need to keep yourself safe and I think you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So acknowledging what harm has been done to you and, and accepting that and then not passing that on to your children if you have children, is, is it takes courage to actually l- take a deep, long look at yourself mm. and see where you are at in that and do whatever it takes. You know, I've yeah, I, like I say, I've done, you know, counselling and therapy and and meditation and, yeah, I actually built a community around me of loving people that would, yeah, I could share my story and would listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. I think too in acknowledging where you're at mm. um, and you may need help with this, I too have had lots of therapy, um, is accepting that what you feel is true because... I think there are lots of voices in our heads when it comes to our families that tells us, oh, no, that's not, that's not what you feel or that's, that didn't happen that way or you're wrong. It's that that's not how our family works or whatever it mm. might be. Mm. And so often you don't allow yourself to acknowledge the truth of what you're feeling. It's very complicated because um, at the end of the day, my mum would say that, you know, we love you to me um, and I hear that. I also hear that that kind of love is painful. And for me, that was the biggest, one of the biggest questions I used to to ask myself, what does love look like? What does it feel like? 
And it really should not hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should not feel painful, um, you know. Um, so that might be a signal. Mm. If you, if you, if it, if, if this hurts, um, you know, I hear I've worked with women, in, you know, have been in domestic violence situations, and they say, "Oh, but he loved me," and my mum would say the same thing, "Oh, but he loved me," so, um, and still does. So, I mean, they're still together. I've been married for forty years, and they've been married for <laughs> hundreds. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, I guess that's the thing. It's like you're not walking in somebody else's shoes. So I cannot, I cannot tell her what she, how she needs to change, and what love you know, how much love she deserves and that this isn't love. This is what she believes is love looks like to her. So who Mm -hmm. am I? That's what I mean. You know, we're all human beings, honestly doing the best that we know how. And it's not for me to, yeah, to pass on. It's it's only for me to to heal myself. And Mm. I can't heal the world or anybody else, just myself. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also recognizing that sometimes parents can't give us what we need emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Like they they don't have the capacity. They don't have those resources. They don't like their definition of love is different to what unconditional love actually is. And so they can't teach us about healthy relationships or good boundaries or self-compassion um, or how to trust our feelings because often they don't know how to either. No one taught them mm. either. Mm. But it is possible to learn these skills yourself as an adult, which Raven, it's so clear that you have done, right? And to give Absolutely. yourself what your parents couldn't. Mm. And it started with how you identified what you needed, what did you what emotional needs did you not have met mm. when you were younger. And then through that, over your all your journey, all your personal development, you have found a way to meet your own emotional needs and fill the void that your parents had left. And that's the biggest blessing I think that I've got is that, you know, I I do work with um, many women and, um, mm. you know, I hear them saying, oh, you know, I haven't had a childhood. And um, I my answer to that is, you are never too young to have a childhood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am the biggest child going. I'm 60, but I get to play every day as far as mm. I'm concerned because I have learned that I can reparent myself. And mm-hmm. when I'm in the sandpit with my grandchildren, they're even they're grown up now, so they're not <laughs> in the sandpit anymore. But I can remember having so much fun on the bouncing castle and doing all the things that I felt that I missed out on and reparented myself mm. and... Yeah, I think I've gone done a damn good job. Mm, I think you have too. <laughs> and and then you never have to really grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, when you, <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> when, and when you reconnect with your inner child, that's yeah. when your most innocent, your most pure self, your most your your truth, because children. And creative and yeah, present like moment and aware and fun and 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 humorous and all the wonderful things in us are the child part of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Raven, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think oh, it is a really you. important thing you've done. Thank I think you. thank you. I'm grateful you invited me. Thank you, Raven.
In our next episode, we're going to be talking about habits. So we all have habits we'd love to be free of. But actually, the behavior isn't really the problem. It's what's inside that triggers the behavior we have to address. We're going to be speaking with one of Australia's best comedians, and we're going to find out how he has managed to free himself of his habit. And we'll learn some strategies that you might like to try to break a habit of yours. I just love this next episode of Best of You. Best of You was created in collaboration with the House of Wellness. Written and presented by me, Joe Stanley, and my co-host, Dr. Jamie Lee, executive producer, Alex Mitchell, and audio production by Nicola Sitch. Listener.